Hello, Herd. I'm your Herd Mom, Megan. Yes, you can call me Mom. And welcome to our first Nerd Herder Q&A. Yay! Uh, each week, we ask you guys to ask us stuff on the interwebs, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Patreon. And we're, we gather them up and answer them here every Friday, or Friday, as some call it. Uh, this week, we have some fun ones. And if you ever think that your question is too weird then hopefully the ones we got this week will put you at ease because, boy, howdy, you guys are some freaks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so really, each week, any questions that you have about Star Wars, uh, anything pertaining to the universe, you can just send our way. Please talk to us. We love you. Uh, Behind-the-scenes stuff, character stuff, creature stuff, planets, and what-ifs, what-abouts, and just anything, really. Uh, we want to be flooded with your questions. We want to drown in them. Uh, today, we have five good ones for you. So let's get started. All right. This week, uh, like I said, we got five good ones for you. Um, most of our questions came from Facebook. Uh, hopefully, we can get some more next week from mm -hmm. Facebook, Twitter, some in person, uh, maybe MySpace. Uh, on Flickr, on Imager, on Vimeo, you know, on uh, uh, Add Me to Your Circle on Google+. Plus. On some AOL IM messaging. Oh, AIM? Oh, <laughs> add me to AIM. Add me on AIM. Like, I don't know. <laughs> oh, bless Just everywhere. Past. Just send us, send us questions from everywhere. Farmers only? <laughs> you don't have to be lonely. At FarmersOnly.com. I would have been great on Farmers Only. With a name like John Wayne, I would have been very loved. With your <laughs> neck beard, too? Right? Like, you look like an Amish farmer sometimes. Thanks. Be an avocado. Thanks. <laughs> okay. So, our first question this week, John. John Wayne, Gird yes. your loins. Okay. Uh, comes from the dear darling Michael Johnson. Hi, Mike. Hi, Mike. Um, and his question is, what did Obi-Wan do between episode three and episode four? Good question. That's um, a long stretch. Yeah. This was actually one of our first questions before we actually really even announced that we were doing this for the podcast. So yeah. uh, this has been a, a long wait for, for Mike. But um, so we don't know a lot. Not every gap has been filled out. and uh, But we do have uh, some of the stories in exchange between episode three and four for Obi-Wan, uh, really just kind of a dark, depressing time for him. Um, mm. You know, you got to figure... Can't imagine why. <laughs> you know, it kind of just ruined the universe. Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, you know, he's he's kind of lived his whole life as a Jedi, and now that whole, whole livelihood is illegal. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of see him wrestling with that and trying to find purpose in spite of that and whatnot. Yeah. So um, a lot of his stories filled out in the comics, in the uh, main run of comics, especially um, there's a storyline of Luke finding or going back to Tatooine to retrieve a box left for him by Obi-Wan. Uh, that is his journals. Um, and so we get Obi-Wan's story through uh, the journals uh, through Obi-Wan's own writings. And we actually get mm -hmm. to see him writing. Dear Diary. <laughs> uh, yeah, essentially, yes. Day number one I on mean, Tatooine. I'm completely safe here. There's so much sin. It, it's it's either to write 
or to talk, start talking to sand. So, <laughs> you know, he did the, he did the right thing. Um, we actually get this cool scene of him writing and because he's, uh, such a forcey boy, he's too good to actually use the pen. So he's doing the whole like levitating a crisscross applesauce thing that Luke does in uh, The Last Jedi and using the force to write. That's just lazy. Right? <laughs> uh, but it, it's, it's very memorable. It's it's a very memorable scene. Uh, but so I mean, the, the ins and outs of what he did essentially was look after Luke. I mean, as boring as it sounds. Just constantly giving himself a face palm, just like Luke. <laughs> you you would you are not too far off. Um, that some of the stories that we actually get would be a very face palm worthy uh, exchange. So this kids just out here shooting wombrats. Uh, Obi Wan was responsible for protecting the Lars, Lars homestead from uh, Jabba's thugs during the um, water drought of Tatooine. Uh, go figure. The sand planet runs out of water. Huh. Uh, well, it was, it wasn't a drought. Well, it was a semi drought. So Jabba put on a water tax. So every farmer had to provide a certain amount of water, which would essentially be all of their water so that Jabba could have water. Um, so, but, uh, none of Jabba's thugs could come near or retrieve water tax from the Lars homestead because it was protected, except they didn't know that they would always come up and, Obi-Wan would just kind of force trick him into passing along to the next place. Um, this is not the boy you're looking for. Yeah, uh, this is not the water you're looking for. Um, <laughs> and he would do this in between his visits to town to get, um, you know, fruit and food and such. And he didn't do it often, though, because yeah. uh, he couldn't actually stand the sight of going to the village, seeing uh, these, you know, and, and it almost it adds this layer of real hatred when when you read these stories and then hear him say the line, you know, hive of scum and villainy in episode four, it adds layers to that because he had to witness all of this mistreatment and villainy and scum and just deplorable activity. And as the Jedi at heart that he is, he could not do anything. He hated it. Mm -hmm. And so it really, that, that light, that line gets so much thicker and heavier, uh, after, after reading those comics. Um, we also know that Obi-Wan was instrumental in preventing, uh, Owen Lars's death, uh, at the hands of the bounty hunter, Black Criston, who was a Wookiee bounty hunter, which you don't see often. Um, and prior to that, there's this very, very emotional exchange where, you know, Owen basically tells, uh, Obi-Wan to stay away, to stop helping. Uh, you know, he's killed enough Skywalkers. It's just like, it's just like Ooh. punch of you know, just repeated punches to the heart. So uh, between episodes three and four, we really get this dark, tragic, depressing story of Obi-Wan trying to find purpose. Uh, and most often he's inspired by Luke. He's inspired by Luke looking to the stars, looking beyond, always wanting to stand up for what's right. There's several instances where we see that Luke does something and Obi-Wan's like, maybe hope isn't gone. Maybe hope isn't uh, lost. Maybe I haven't lost my purpose yet. You know, I'm still a Jedi. Um, really good, interesting stuff, but really it just boils down to, he was there trying to keep Luke out of trouble, protect, uh, the Lars homestead and just try not to lose his sanity. <laughs> with, which dealing with Skywalkers is very difficult. Well, Lord knows. So, uh, but Boy. yeah, so, um, you know, if you're a comic reader or if you're not, and you really just want to know that story, you can check out the star Wars, uh, main comic series. It's just, Marvel Star Wars. 
um, mm-hmm. where that story comes from. Yeah, we can do a comic recommendation thing on Patreon, maybe. Yeah, I, I've got so many guys. So, but uh, yeah. but yeah. So that's what the Obi Wan's was doing. Yeah. All right. So next question, also asked by Mike, uh, is what is the story of Darth Maul? Um, I don't want to talk about great detail too much because a lot of that has to do with the Clone Wars. And I know, Mike, you're watching the Clone Wars, I believe, for the first time. Uh, and so I want you to really experience that fresh and come into the conversations on the Clone Wars show with us fresh. Um, but essentially, uh, Darth Maul was uh, recruited by Palpatine at a very young age, at a very uh, infancy Really, um, he was his mother was promised uh, a great deal if she provided a great warrior, and she did. And uh, it was supposed to be this mutually beneficial exchange, and yet it wasn't. Uh, Palpatine stole the child. He got him half off. <laughs> uh, got him for free, actually. Uh, stole the child, uh, raised him up to be a great Sith warrior, and uh, instilled in him this deep-seated hatred of the Jedi by making him. Um, by influencing him with the ashes of dead Sith on the planet Malachor. Uh, yeah, so the reason he's just so angry uh, is because of that. He's too ashy. Yeah, he's angry. Boy needs he's a some gr- lotion. He's an angry, ashy boy. Um, and so... Which, if I haven't put on lotion in a while, I get that angry too. There you go. Uh, so don't be like Darth Maul. Put Use on lotion. lotion. <laughs> um, Use some shea butter. So... Now that he's the angry uh, boy that we come to know him as in episode one, uh, of course, we know how that ends. He's cut in half and falls down a reactor shaft. He survives that, is transported to a trashy planet. Earth. Yes, which (laughs) there is a fantastic piece of artwork that I'm going to share to the Facebook page of Maul climbing out of the reactor. (laughs) <laughs> it is so freaking cool. I need to share it. Go ahead. Um, and so it's there on that planet that he kind of just festers in his anger, uh, particularly That's towards true. Obi-Wan, uh, towards his master, just everything, um, which you can't really blame Palpatine too much. He thought he was dead. Like how many people survive get cut in half besides Dirge and Maul? Yeah. Uh, so there he just kind of loathes in his anger until he's uh, eventually picked up and rescued and redeemed from his anger. Not redeemed to be a good guy, of course, because then there'd be nothing uh, of value to him. Uh, no, now he's on his revenge mission. So he spends much of his time now uh, with his robo legs pursuing Obi-Wan um, for, uh, you know, his revenge. Uh, and eventually uh, this fails. And he goes into hiding until he can start up his own little um, criminal empire that we see him have in uh, Solo that becomes called Crimson Dawn. Um, But yet again, uh, yet again, though, it's pulled out from under him. And eventually he's discovered by Ezra Bridger on the planet Malachor, um, where he tries to recruit Ezra uh, for his own Sithy means. Uh, basically still on the same horse of, I've got to kill Obi-Wan. I've got to kill Obi-Wan, which doesn't pan out too well for him. Eventually, he hunts down Obi-Wan only to be killed 
by the Jedi Master on Tatooine. So, yet another thing that Obi-Wan was up to uh, between episode three and four, he was roasting marshmallows and roasting Sith. So, um, <laughs> just chilling. Fun fact, though, um, the idea originally of Darth Maul coming back with robo legs uh, was featured from a one off comic about the idea of that. What if Darth Maul comes back? Uh, to hunt down Obi-Wan while he's on Tatooine. And so he does so. He he goes after Obi-Wan the only way he knows how. He knows he's on Tatooine, but he doesn't know how to pull him out. So he starts threatening the uh, the Lars Olmsted. Um And so, of course, in true Jedi Knight fashion, he shows up to save the day and gets into this very flamboyant fight with uh, the Sith Lord. Of course. And just when it seems like, you know the days lost, you know, Darth Maul's just too angry and powerful. How's this ever going to end? Uh, Owen Lars comes out of nowhere and just uses his space shotgun and blows <laughs> Darth Maul's head off. Um, You're in my house, boy. You know, really circumvents the expectations. And so uh, it was a very cool uh, comic series. And I think if it weren't for that comic series, the, desire for Maul to return would have never been there. Um, and so, but I'm glad for Maul's return and Clone Wars. It is a great series of episodes leads all the way through the Clone Wars. We see him pop up in solo and eventually in star Wars rebels. Um, so he's got a great story to tell. And so uh, he was up to a lot is, is really the big answer, but yeah. a lot that we won't talk about uh, for a little while until we get there in the Clone Wars. Uh, but looking forward to that. So, but hopefully this kind of gives you an idea of what to expect. Lots of, lots of angry, angry, uh, Obi-Wan pursuing. Such an angry boy. Yep. Okay. So our next question by another Michael. There's a lot of Michaels Michael in our, Hansen. in our life. Michael Hanson. Hula Hanson. Yes. See, you thought, but, you, you thought you were asking a question just to be funny, but we actually looked up an answer for it, buddy. Yeah. You can expect work from us. Mm-hmm. Not much, but work. Um, he asks, what happens if Chewbacca gets head lice? Yeah, I think the insinuation was like, what's, what happens if he gets head lice? Does he just have lice? Are they fleas? Like, you know, a very, huh, that's funny to think about kind of question. <laughs> so, are you going to answer the question? Yes, I will gladly answer the question. Um, lice. In the galaxy far, far away, according to legends, according to Wikipedia. Uh, a sand louse was a small insect known to inhabit arid environments, particularly deserts. Uh, they were generally regarded as pests as they would infest food and drinking water, spoiling them for consumption. They would be found on Tatooine in Behebeth. That's not how that's spelled. Okay. Jowdrel. Jowdrel. Uh. So, so the, <laughs> the, the first thing is one instance of Star Wars lice. Yes. Desert lice. Yes, there you go. This is much more up the alley of what you're asking about, Mike. Yes. I don't, even, I don't think I've ever called you Mike. It's weird. It's weird. Stop it. Yeah. Jowdrel, who is a cousin of Chewbacca once used a basket of lice to fend off Trandoshan slavers on Kashyyyk. That, that was how you say that. 
Trandoshan. There you go. Do you know what a Trandoshan is? I have no clue. Bosk. Really? Yeah, that's what his species is. <gasps> there's, a, there's a long-seated hatred of uh, between Trandoshans and uh, Wookiees. Wouldn't have been able to guess. Because, you know, Bosk loves killing Wookiees. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, that's <laughs> not just him, but his entire species. They love hunting things. They're like the predators of the Star Wars galaxy. Killing Wookiees. Hunting things. Yep. The Trandoshan business. Um, so, in Legends, at least, we know that lice exist and definitely exist on Kashyyyk. So, what would happen if Chewbacca or any Wookiee got lice? I imagine it would be generally uncomfortable, much like real-life lice cases. Uh, in reality, olive oil, coconut oil, and apple cider vinegar will help get rid of lice. And Wookiees should be intelligent enough to have a natural solution to the pests. You know, you grow up on a planet inherited by seven, eight-foot-tall walking carpets. You gotta figure out some kind of solution to that. Uh, but in extreme cases, I imagine that they would just shave the infested. Can you imagine? A shaved a Wookiee? A shaved Wookiee? It's just a person. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure uh, Michael Hansen is just a shaved Wookiee. <laughs> hey, what's up, you guys? Conspiracy Theory 2018. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag Michael Hansen's a Wookiee. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I mean... Like, how many times have you not heard him make that sound? Like, constantly. Every time you see him. So, Every time. So there you go. Hashtag we're gonna confirmed. Get, we're going to get a recording of Michael doing this <laughs> and just play it on the podcast yep. so that everyone knows what we're talking about. Yep. Michael's one of our best friends. Yep. So, uh, hashtag he's a Wookiee. Hashtag yeah. confirmed. Hashtag lots of hashtags. Not surprised. So. Uh, okay. So, next question. Another friend, uh, Eddie Eckhart, asked... Does the Enterprise faster than the Kessel Run, <laughs> or does the Serenity faster? <laughs> That's exactly how he worded it. That's I wanted exactly to, how he I wanted it. to copy and paste that specifically. Uh, uh, loose translation. Yeah. Which could do the Kessel Run faster between the Enterprise or the Serenity, and how does it stack to the Millennium Falcon? Uh, yeah. So that was my kind of offhand translation of it. Yes. Because that's why that Eddie, that's assume, uh, that's what I assume you meant. If that's yeah. not, then you can ask again and we'll correct it. But uh, regardless, it's a fun question to think about and caused me yes. to do a lot of research. Now, um, here's a couple of questions: Are we talking about NC one one seven, the OG Enterprise, or are we talking about the Enterprise D? Stopping in the table. Sorry, which has. Slightly more thruster power. Uh, let me ask the question and you'll see. Okay. Because it doesn't really matter. <laughs> okay. And if you've never, if you don't know what the Serenity is, the Serenity is from the TV show and film Firefly, which is one of the best space cowboy stories you've ever seen. So good. It only got 13 episodes. Shut up. <laughs> and a movie. And a movie. Shut up. It, it's, it's a fun show though. Um, so... Yeah, so uh, I believe the question specifically was for the Enterprise versus the Serenity. Uh, I added in the Millennium Falcon just for funsies because uh, the only real argument Megan and I have ever had in our relationship okay. is about Star Wars versus Star Trek. So, uh, you know, we're not as petty as some couples. We don't fight about simple things like where to send kids to college or how many kids to have. We fight about the real things here, okay? So, um, found it. 
so what is the Kessel Run? The Kessel Run uh, was a hyperspace route uh, within the Akadis Maelstrom used by smugglers and unscrupulous fight, fight, uh, freighter captains to move spice from the spice mines of Kessel at the behest of the Pike Syndicate, who relied on the foolhardy Kessel Runners to deliver the illicit substance to their customers. Think drug running, essentially. Han Solo... Piloting the Millennium Falcon made the infamous run through the maelstrom that surrounded Kessel in a near-gravity well called the Maw, reducing the typical distance required from 20 to almost 12 parsecs. So that's the, that's the record. That's the big idea of the Kessel run and why it was so impressive that Han did it in 12 parsecs, uh, or if you round down. Um... So the Millennium Falcon accomplished the Kessel Run as we know it in canon for two reasons. One, superior navigation thanks to the up uploaded data from Lando's droid partner, L337. Uh, because of her superior navigation calculations, they were able to plan a route that was dangerous, but possible. Uh, that's actually what led them to the gravity well, the Maw, um, and was really arguably the only reason they escaped. Uh, but... Two, ultimately, the Falcon was almost trapped by the Maw had it not been for the coaxium hyperfuel that was on board that boosted the Falcon's propulsion power, eventually launching it uh, out of the Maelstrom and allowing it to uh, shorten the distance to the 12 parsecs that Han loves to boast about. Mm -hmm. So, could the Serenity or the en Enterprise have done it better? Uh, the Serenity, which is famous uh, for as you mentioned, the Firefly show uh, featuring Nathan Fillion. Um, Delightful, man. Was much more realistically designed, actually. Uh, so it was far too severely underpowered to make the modified Kessel Run at all. It probably could have made the Kessel Run in the more typical 20 parsec where you just kind of make your way through these pathways. Mm -hmm. Could it have done it faster than the Millennium Falcon? No, because it, it it's... it the So... The making the Kessel Run is about two things. Number one, it's about navigation. Number two, it's about speed. The Serenity could have navigated the Kessel Run. It could not have done it as fast as the Millennium yes. Falcon. Wash was fantastic at being a pilot. Yes. And navigation in general. Yes. Just not very good at not having a hole in his chest. <laughs> All right. Help. Um, so, again, so the, the, the primary stats of uh, completing the uh, Kessel Run in a greater uh, or and faster way than the Millennium Falcon requires as good navigation. Yes. And uh, speed. Yes. I I mean the the fact of could Wash have navigated it is a much deeper thing. I mean, let's say he could again. His ship was too slow. Uh, it was more realistically modeled, not as sci-fi modeled, um, but it just was not fast enough. It was. Arguably, and by the way, all of the stats for this come from, uh, I believe it is the Daily Dot. I have the website somewhere on here. Um, oh, here we go. Yes, the Daily Dot.com. If you search Illustrated Guide to the Fastest Ships in the Universe, you'll find the details of all this. So the Serenity is right up there with a lot of the Apollo shuttles in the more human made, real life shuttle speeds. Mm -hmm. Fast. Not as fast as a Millennium Falcon. So Serenity, they're out. Uh, Enterprise is slightly a uh, different story. 
The Enterprise uh, has faced similar gravity well issues throughout history, yes. um, notably and most similarly including the 2009 Star Trek film um, directed by uh, now Star Trek alum J.J. Abrams. Mm -hmm. uh, great film. Uh, being trapped in the pool of a black hole, the crew resolves to launch the warp cores and detonate them within the gravity well to create a large enough blast that would launch the ship away from the pool of the gravity. Sounds not too dissimilar from the Falcon's Kessel Maneuver. While this could help with facing the Maw, which would mean they could have... So let's say they could have navigated as well as L337, and they made this modified run uh, around the Maw. Mm -hmm. Having gotten caught in the Maw's gravitational pull, they would have had a way to escape fairly similarly to how the Falcon escaped. Mm -hmm. So they could actually make the modified run. They could actually yes. navigate. They could do the run. Not as fast. Not as fast. Since we are talking about the OG original Enterprise. Actually, it doesn't matter which one you're talking about. Really? Uh, Tell if, me you're your talk stats. if you're talking the about the first one, it's the most severely underpowered. Yes, but all the other absolutely. Enterprises being fast are not as fast as the Millennium Falcon. No. Uh, again, I refer everyone over if you want to uh, mm -hmm. look at someone else who's smarter than me who researched this. Uh, DailyDot.com, Illustrated Guide to the Fastest Ships in the Universe. Um, the Falcon is one of the more highly graded uh, fastest ships. Um, the well, ideal ship for this, according to their chart, if we're counting navigation and speed, is the TARDIS. So... I everybody think we wins. Can agree on that one. So everybody okay. wins. All right. Here, shake your hand. That was a real handshake. All right, hang and on, hang on. By the mic so they can hear it. Okay. <laughs> um, but so uh, again, I'll give it to Pretty you sure that the Enterprise. In my wrist. <laughs> the Enterprise could have navigated it, meaning yes. the Millennium Falcon Absolutely. and the Enterprise could leave from the same starting point mm -hmm. and end at the same finishing point. Yeah, and if you take into account the crew of the Enterprise and their navigational skills independently. Right. Like, Data is a freaking android with infinite knowledge of known Stuff. space. <laughs> Shut up. Um, so, yes, they could have started from the same place and crossed the same finish line. The Millennium Falcon would have crossed a lot sooner, though, is the end result. Yes. So, Although, the Enterprise-D has uh, a modified warp factor, so it's but But the fact is... Warp and hyperspace actually did not play into this. Um, the whole fact of why uh, the Enterprise didn't warp away from the uh, gravity well in the 2009 film was because of the placement of how close they were. Yeah. They could not escape uh, the. And you're getting into science stuff. I don't know. I because yeah. I looked. I again. The gravitational I, pull of a wormhole can pull in light itself. Right. So I mean, it. When I looked up on Star Trek forums some of the answers for why they didn't just warp out of there. So that's why you were um, vomiting earlier. <laughs> uh, what it has to do with is if they had warped where they were trapped in the gravity, yeah. it wouldn't have mattered. They would have no. warped in the same place. They exactly. would not have been able to escape. Yeah. So the matter was, how do we escape the gravitational pull? That's why they detonated the warp cores and pushed themselves away. Mm -hmm. Same thing for the Falcon. The Falcon, the, they couldn't just hyperspace away. They couldn't. Uh, escape that pull, mm -hmm. so they instead boosted their natural propulsion and launched themselves out. Okay, so let's take out, let's take out the wormhole. Let's take out the uh, coaxium. Mm -hmm. 
just muscle to muscle, who do you think could have done it faster? Still the Falcon. Why is that? Uh, because regardless of natural navigation, we're made to believe that L337 is the only, if not one of the few um, with navigation skills to know that route, to calculate that route. Mm -hmm. So as good as the Star Trek peeps navigation skills may be, there is no guarantee that they could have come up in the millions of calculations with that same route that L337 came up with. Meaning that the Falcon still has the best bet, especially when you consider the fact that the Falcon was already pushed to a certain route by the uh, invading Star Destroyer. So we wouldn't, e we wouldn't even know if they could have made it had the Star Destroyer not pushed them to take that route in the first place. So I think all in all, any way you cut it, the Falcon wins this one. If, I think you're biased, but that's it. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, when you, the thing is, we don't know an exact science of warp no. in hyperspace to be able to know that. So when we're going just pure muscle to muscle, if we're not adding any NOS to the engines, then the, the Falcon is still faster. You can see why this is an ongoing argument from the last, you know, five years of being together. So, but we're going to leave it here. Bitter or not, that's the truth. Take it. I'm dropping the rope. Okay. The Falcon's better. Shut up. <laughs> okay, so Eddie Eckhart also asks, what is up with Porkins? Did his name come before casting, or did the casting agents cast a chubby guy, followed by the writer saying, hmm, Porkins. Yes, that works. Uh, so the idea being was what came first? The fat guy name or the fat guy? Yes. Uh Based on behind-the-scenes research, the easy answer is uh, the name existed before the actor took the position. Um, the details for that is, uh, and this is going to involve uh, legends and history details of the character as well as actual behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, so, in-universe, in Star Wars Galaxy, the nickname, uh, the, the guy's name is Jack Tono Porkins, uh, nicknamed Piggy. Uh, he was a male human trader and pilot from uh, Bastine 4, and he decided to abandon his home world after the Galactic Empire moved in and built a new military base there. He ended up joining the Alliance to restore the Republic, uh, and his skills as a low-altitude strafing pilot uh, earned him, and his rounded physique, earned him the nicknames Belly Runner and Piggy. Why um, are they so mean to him? <laughs> I'm getting there. Over th uh, three decades after his death during the Battle of Yavin, uh, Porkins was remembered through the Porkins Belly Run, a resistance fight fighter maneuver named in his honor. Uh, we actually see um, in Legends, uh, Dark Lighter, Biggs Dark Lighter, uh, Mustache Squadron Boy, um, <laughs> addressed the title as a very um, admirable and honorable thing. Um, when eventually uh, some rogue squadron folks start calling a Gamorian, Gamorian um, Piggy, uh, he starts to kind of feel bad about the nickname, but Biggs encourages him and says, look, no, the guy that this nickname, who had this nickname also, 
was a great pilot and a great friend. And so really it's a badge of honor that they call you that. So they really go far to address the fact that it was uh, a kind of friendly and honorable thing, especially uh, in, in post-mortem um, mm-hmm. that, that, that that was his name. So, And the whole belly runner thing has to do more with his, his low altitude ship flying. Because yeah. you've got the belly of the ship flying close. He's he's running his belly, um, at, you know, is the kind of thing. So it's going low and slow. Gotcha. Okay. I get you now. So in-universe, um, yeah, he kind of had a name that referenced his physique, but it had far more to do uh, just with his name and with his flight maneuvers. Um, but the actual answer comes from behind the scenes. So Jet Porkins was created for George Lucas... Uh, 1977 film Star Wars, uh, and so he was played by William Hootkins in the film. Hootkins was originally considered as a stand-in uh, for the humanoid Jabba the Hutt. However, after reading the script, Hookins was unsure about the film and decided to take a different job. When his other work finished, Hookins learned that Lucas was still seeking actors to play rebel pilots and decided to take one of the other parts. With so many roles involving heavy makeup, Hookins initially wondered if the name Porkins, meaning that name was there when he received the script, before they knew it was really for him, um, he thought that Porkins might be like a pig-like alien, uh, which would require a lot of makeup. Um, he had to check with Lucas to confirm but uh, that he was human. So that already really gives us the answer that Jack Porkins existed prior to Hootkins being cast mm-hmm. uh, for the role. It doesn't tell us anything about whether or not they were looking for a heavy set man, but we're led to kind of believe that, no, nah, he just kind of picked it up and took it. Mm-hmm. I, I guess they were just going, because you got to think that there was a lot of playful names early in Star Wars planning. So I feel like Porkins was just thrown in there in a way of, haha, that's a funny space name. Um, not necessarily relating to someone's physique. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, it was so unplanned, uh, and this is going to support the idea that this was very after, after the fact, it was so unplanned that the rebel uni- pilot uniforms that had been made for standard human size, uh, did not fit Hookins. They had to split it down the middle in for, in order for him to wear it as almost a backwards jacket. Uh, so much so that there's scenes where you can see his Mr. Natural t-shirt underneath peeking out. <laughs> um, so he was cramped into the small cockpit, again, not made for someone his size, um, for his character's explosive death scenes. Hootkins initially thought that actors that played the Death Star crew members had the better roles, but would later consider himself lucky to have played one of the film's heroic flying rebels. So, again, short answer, it was just a name, and eventually a guy came along that fit it, uh, and they did a lot of work. Uh, afterwards to really make it a very honorable and uh, uh, admirable uh, thing. Um, And so, yeah, just, I guess, a certain happenstance. Yeah. Yeah. Good answer. Good question. Okay. So. Oh. Our last one's a doozy. Our last one is a doozy. Tuck in your shirts buckle your seatbelts. And Eddie Eckhart asks, why does Boss Nass's Gorder seem to defy the laws of physics? It's a paraphrase of his actual question. Yeah. 
Um, and simple answer. That is because Boss Nass was played by the uncomparable Brian Blessed, who... Blessed. No, it's Blessed. Blessed. Okay, whatever. Tomato, tomato. Tomato, tomato. Gif, jif. Wiki and wiki. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun if you watched yesterday's episode. Yeah. Um, but the man has had so many different roles. He... He was Clayton in Tarzan. He was... He was Tarzan. He he was Tarzan uh, during the yell. He, technically Tarzan. Tar- technically Tarzan, yes. And he did fantastic. Um, he has since, I believe, passed on. I think. I believe so. Yeah. So rest sure. in peace. Um, and a man, he himself defies the laws of physics. The man... Oh. It's just very special. Yeah. Um, if you go back, really, especially like his interviews were pertaining to episode one and uh, of his character in Jar Jar and just working on Star Wars in general, watch those interviews yes. and you'll get what we mean. Um, yes. Particularly the one, just kind of look up Brian Blessed talks about Jar Jar. Yeah. Um, it, that interview alone is just theatrical. And, and and this is just him. This is just the yeah. guy. And so it's just like... He was a Shakespearean actor in many different ways. Like, yeah. He was his, so... Oh. His, his character was his lifestyle. Yeah. Um, and so he's he's very much a crazy guy. And so for a crazy <laughs> guy, you need a crazy yeah. uh, alien. Um, if you've ever watched uh, Black Adder, which is one of my favorites, he played the king. Yes. Yeah. I remember. Um like it's such a commanding voice, but also you you just want to stop and listen to his voice. Oh yeah. And I think he was perfect for Boss Nats. Yeah. Oh, and that was the thing. And you know, his his character demanded a lot of regal, but also a lot of boisterous <laughs> Well, yeah, a lot of boisterous volume and energy, which he added to it. And that was actually essentially ad libbed. Um yeah. Lucas told him that you know, this is a celebrating moment. And again, if you watch the interviews, you'll you'll hear him talk about this in his fashion. But mm-hmm. you know, uh, Lucas told him, you know, hey, we need something big and triumphant for this. You know, they're your your armies are joining to destroy the bad guys. So do something, you know, very celebratory. And that's what he chose to do. Yeah, he was just like, okay, this is what this is. You know, this is, is what's it? happening. Um, also, I'm pretty sure I just messed up something with my inner ear doing that. Like, <laughs> um, the room is spinning. <laughs> and the sound designers, to supplement that, I found out in researching this, also used the sound of shaking a hot water bottle. I don't know why it had to be hot, but uh, for the for the noise of his lips when he does that. Because apparently Brian Blessed wasn't enough. Um, of course not. So, but uh, yeah, just a fun question with a fun answer. Yeah. It's just, I think... You want to see someone who was so into what he did and really enjoyed his life. He did everything. He dialed did up to 11. Everything. <laughs> so, the man lived up to his own hype, though. Yeah. But, um, yeah, again, uh, for fun and for a look behind the scenes, look up the, uh, his interviews pertaining to episode one. Uh, yeah. You won't be disappointed. Um, you you want to you see another fantastic interview? This is off topic, but look up uh, Rand- Macho Man Randy Savage. Uh, his Cream of the Crop yeah, interview. Yeah, just, just type in Macho Man Cream of the Crop. 
I'm not going to tell you anything about it. Be blessed. Yes. <laughs> Be blessed, you, my friends. You will know why I carry a, a, a thing of creamer in my shirt pocket for every occasion now. Yes. So, uh, oh, but I love Macho Man. Yeah. So five questions, 40 minutes. I think it's been a full fun episode. Yeah. Um, hopefully uh, this will encourage you guys. Throw some more at us. Um, not you know, too hard. Yeah. We're sensitive. Uh, but yeah, really uh, send them like our huge. way. Uh, send us some fun ones. Send us some just general. Yeah. I don't know why this works. I don't know why they did this. I don't know why that happened. You know, just any Star Warsy questions mm-hmm. you got, uh, send them our way. Um, yeah. We'll make an official uh, kind of Q and A request post on Twitter uh, mm-hmm. at the beginning of the week, so and we Facebook. can kind of gather them up. Um, and so uh, hopefully we'll see some more from you guys, uh, Eddie. You've come up with some of the weirdest ones, uh, but turned out to be some of the funnest to research. So I'm proud of you. Add a boy. <laughs> um, but oh. yeah, so that's our Q and A, um, and it's yeah. it, it's great how it kind of starts these fun little conversations along the way, and uh, almost creates its own little Q and A within a Q and A because you start yeah. getting like you get these little details and you're like, oh, wait, what about, uh, but yeah, thus ends our first week of the nerd herder podcast. Yeah. First full week. So this, this is our, uh, Friday show and we've had a show every day this week. Yeah. And so I'm so tired. <laughs> yep. And it's week one yeah. of forever. How are we going to do this? <laughs> uh, I'm sure we force. can. Uh, and lots of coffee. Be with you. Um, but, uh, look forward to hearing from you guys, uh, yeah. hearing some of your crazy questions. Yeah. And also, you know, like I've said at the end of every episode, um, the, the herd, we are a herd, we are a family. Talk to us. Um, and also just tell us what you like about the show. Tell us what you don't like about the show. Tell us some things that we could do better. Um, as long as it's done in a kind way, we will absolutely listen and, It'll be a discussion. Yeah. Family meeting at Twitter. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're new to this, so, you know, yeah. let us know what works, what you like, what you don't like, what you'd like to see more of, what maybe you think won't fit. I mean, again, doesn't necessarily mean we'll listen to everything, but, you know, yeah. um, if it's kind and valid, of course, you know, we don't come into this thinking we know how to run a podcast yeah. perfectly. Um, in fact, the whole idea of incorporating sections into our podcasting so that it's more easy to listen to uh, came from someone who hadn't even heard the podcast yet. Um, but when I initially told him, you know, uh, well, our main show is an hour and a half, he was instantly like, well, I'm not going to listen to it then. It's too long. Yeah. So, you know, we incorporated the idea of, okay, well, what if we create sections so you can easily bookmark where you left off? Where do you want to start? Or you could even skip some of the, you know, non-important stuff. Um, yeah. So we are, we are listening. We are evolving. It's like you said, only week one. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, but it's been a fun week. Yeah. Lots of full conversations. Absolutely. Um, next week has a lot more. We've got motivations coming on Monday. Um, we've got lots more news to talk about, especially pertaining to comics, which I'm excited about on yeah. Tuesday. I have a lot of reading to do. Yes. Uh, Wednesday, we've got another main show, which, uh, as a little sneak peek, we're going to be talking uh, about some of the uh, future Star Wars content that we'll be getting from Ryan Johnson, the Benioff and Weiss, 
uh, team, John Favros. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about Clone Wars and Resistance. And so uh, got that for you Wednesday. Thursday is season two of the Clone Wars uh, 2003 series. We're going to wrap that up. And then Friday, another Q&A, uh, which uh, one of the questions we've already gotten is about uh, the other 65 clone orders. So that's an interesting one. Yeah. Um, so another great week to look forward to. Yeah. Um, and if I could get sappy for a minute, thank you so much for listening already. Um, we're not a huge podcast, you know, we're not, <laughs> we're no nerdist, but everyone out there who is listening and has, you know, listened this week, we are so grateful to you, um, for, you know, listening. Yeah, jumping in with us. If I had known this was going to be a section, I would have created a section titled Sappy Ending. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we really do appreciate everybody that has been listening. Um, our first episode uh, last Wednesday got 14 plays, which is phenomenal. Um, we've got five uh, to six plays for every other episode this week. So yeah. uh, all of that is far more than we expected. And so, uh, but that's also... absolutely why we encourage you guys, you know, to interact with us and uh, really kind of network this, this community that we're building, even if it is only just five folks or however many it really is. Um, you know, we believe that it'll be a lot of great conversations and relationships that bud out of this. And yeah. so, um, and certainly we want to see that grow. Hopefully, uh, hopefully more people will come along and check it out and be a part of the herd. So, yeah. Welcome to the Herd family. Yep. So if you've listened every uh, day this week, thank you. Um, thank you to Anchor for giving our podcast a home. Uh, thank you for uh, to Tater Tot Tunes for the music that he's provided uh, for our intro throughout the week. Um, and thank you to you guys who are listening yeah. uh, right now. So Thanks for letting us in your ears. Mm-hmm. You should clean here. it out. uh but while you clean your ears over the weekend and we get ready for another week of awesome nerd hurting podcast content uh that's it for now um this has been your herd leader john wayne this has been your herd mom megan and until next time may the force be with you